The day the planes stopped flying. A short story written and recorded by me, Matthew Bromley. The sound of aeroplanes overhead is so abrasive, so intrusive. But whenever they pass by, I can't help myself from being mentally transported like the people they carry, from my place standing still, stationary on the ground, to travel overhead, to join the seated rows of passengers as they relocate their lives, sometimes in short bursts, sometimes in life-changing stretches. I think about their vacations, and their business trips and their uprooted lives, finding new homes or returning to old ones. I think about the places I would love to go, to see for the first time or to revisit like long-lost friends. I think about the bags packed tight with too many pairs of pants just in case you shit yourself three times in one weekend. I think about the photos those passengers will take and the memories they will make, and the way the plane shakes as it comes into land, before I am myself shaken back to the ground, and my place upon it, interrupted by the noise of the plane overhead. I remember the day the plane stopped flying, like about so many things, Joni Mitchell was right. We don't know what we've got till it's gone. I'd taken it for granted, and I'd never really thought about what it all meant until the flights were all grounded. They said it was just two weeks, then twelve. Then they stopped offering timelines. Then they stopped talking about it altogether. Like so many other parts of the pandemic, it felt like every time we repeated mistakes, we still learnt nothing. In lots of ways, it was easy to miss the travel, but it was giving up the sound of the planes overhead, annoying though it was, that was so much harder, because that meant giving up hope. And hope is so sticky so stubborn. Hope clings on even when it shouldn't. But slowly, the silent skies washed it all away. They had grounded planes before, when terrorists flew into the World Trade Centre, but even then, it felt like no time at all before it was declared that to let flights be delayed any longer would be to let evil win, so we went back to flying as soon as we could. They grounded most planes back in 2020, during the lockdowns and restrictions of the early waves of the pandemic too. They had failed to cancel flights out of Wuhan and then later out of Italy and when they finally did cancel them all, it was far too late and all the more devastating for the spread of the virus and for the future of flying. In the many false restarts that followed, they struggled to find staff to cope with the influx of passengers ready to get away again. 
people had been laid off whilst things were shut down, opened and shut down again, and now they couldn't get them back quickly enough. Funny that. The airlines blamed the government's inadequate support packages, the government blamed the industry's lack of planning, and no one seemed to blame the bosses who took bonuses and the shareholders who took dividend payouts for years before, but now had to be first in line to get paid before anyone who actually worked there on the ground and in the air, day after day, flight after flight. It was during 2022, the summer when the airlines struggled most but got planes flying again, or at least those that weren't cancelled whilst the passengers sat in them on the runway, that I realised just how much I had missed the sound of flights overhead. That summer, I found myself on many imagined journeys, if not yet real ones, and I began to believe I might fly again. And fly again I did, summer 2023 to California, six weeks exploring the Golden Coast, from San Francisco down to Big Sur, down to LA and on to San Diego, driving mostly Highway 1, the Pacific Ocean rarely out of sight. I visited bars and beaches and cafes, taking life as easily as California does. I saw so much, but also felt like I had seen barely anything at all. Sitting in 24A, flying home in early September 2023, looking out over the slightly browned fields of Berkshire and Surrey, it had been a warm, dry summer back home, it struck me how differently it feels flying out from flying home. Flying out six weeks earlier was full of excitement and promise and anticipation. The flight home was a strange blend of sadness, tempered by an impatience for the comfort of finally being home. It was circling, ready to land at Heathrow. I promised myself I would return to California as soon as I could. After five years without flight, I swore I would not go so long again. Two years later, the flights were booked, paid for and the trip was all planned. In the few months before July 2025, when I was due to fly out, I kept a careful eye on any new restrictions or requirements. Over the past five years, there were endless on-again, off-again combinations of mask mandates, vaccine passports and testing regimes. There were times, like 2020, when Covid was far from the headlines and far from our lips as we pretended it was and could be over. And that we had bigger problems post-pandemic than during it. But now... In 2025, two weeks before I was due to fly, everything grounded. A new variant was detected. To start, no one paid much attention. We were far too through the Greek alphabet for it to stand out. Cases rose and rose again and still no one paid much attention as we'd stopped counting the waves by that point. Occasionally the BBC would have a nice doctor or nurse or medical union representative on to talk about the strain on the NHS, but we were too glad to have our national insurance increase back and had heard it all before. We were tired of the pandemic years ago 
and now we were tired of being tired. The doctors said it was different this time, it was summer this time, the kind BBC presenter nodded, pointed out some people, although probably not doctors, would say everything will be fine, dutifully fulfilling their obligation to provide balance. Then said thank you and moved on to the next segment. It wasn't until the Telegraph had pictures of people dying with Covid in corridors that anyone took any notice. Soon after that, the press conferences began again, with a new cast of politicians and experts telling us they were determined to learn from the mistakes of the past. Not that we would ever really know what they are, as the inquiry was still ongoing. And then, within a week, the planes were grounded. It was probably for the best I wasn't in California when it happened, watching people queue for the small number of repatriation flights that flew in that first week was painful, and after the last one landed, that was it. The planes stopped flying. Any time I leave home for a few days or more, in the days beforehand, I often wonder if I'm seeing the familiar things around me as they are now for the last time. Wondering if they might be brought down to rubble by natural disaster or human catastrophe by the time I return. I don't remember it always being this way. But after living through what felt like a dystopian disaster movie in the first stages of the pandemic in 2020, all the other things my brain had previously compartmentalised as being possible only on screen now started to bleed over into the category of actually possible. So again, I'm quite glad I never got my plane to California that summer, as had I been on one of those repatriation flights home, there was a genuine possibility that I might have been returning to see all my familiar buildings as ruins. So it was, the summer of 2025, when the world finally accepted that we were no longer living in the post-pandemic era we previously thought we were. Distracted by sustained high inflation and repeated cost-of-living crises, we had tolerated waves of infections caused by new variants every few months. It turned out that whilst the West were developing new vaccines and new treatments, China had been developing and seeding new variants into the population. By the time they had found the winning formula of both infectious and deadly, in 2025, the West was in political paralysis. I read a book once about the end of the war, how after VE Day they took two days off and celebrated the end of it all. How they gathered round the wireless at 3pm to hear Churchill declare it all to be over. It struck me how we never really got to declare the pandemic over. We tried once, with buy one, get one free meals in the first summer after lockdown, and that was a total disaster which only fueled the second wave. 
And so it was that the pandemic never really did end, at least not properly. It merely receded in our collective consciousness and bubbled along at a gentle simmer almost indefinitely, always there but also never really there. In Britain, we had taken the opportunity since the summer of 2021 when we declared freedom to get rid of the Prime Minister who had partied his way through lockdowns, denying he had said let the bodies pile high whilst they piled high anyway, and replaced them with a new kind of political turmoil. We replaced lies with liabilities. We replaced one Prime Minister with a new Prime Minister who, despite previously being Foreign Secretary, declared she had no interest in foreign policy, preferring nationalism and protectionism, then replacing that one with another one who seemed more professional but only because the last one had been outcompeted by a lettuce on a live stream. Where our previous administration had stuck suitcases of wine in the back door for lockdown-busting parties, this new administration was now sneaking in Lib Dem and DUP MPs to offer them just enough local investment to abstain on key legislation and so sustain the minority Tory government post-2023's election. It turns out, if you pay people's heating bills for a year, then ask them to vote for you, just enough might do so to keep you in government, if not with an overall majority. It felt like the people and the politicians learnt two different lessons over the start of the pandemic. Whilst the rest of us had learnt that we wanted well-funded public services so that we never have to live through such a crisis ever again, Tory politicians had learnt that they can get away with more if the crisis is large enough. The trouble is, they might not have been wrong. Having created an economic crisis with one leader, they offered austerity as a solution with another, and in doing so, they clung on in minority government, ensuring years of manufactured crisis after crisis to come. In America, a now decrepit Biden in his second term was being kept locked away for fear of catching and dying from any one of the new variants which our vaccines had not yet protected him or any of us against. And the Republican-controlled Senate was making sure that legislation slowed, stalled or died. In Europe, the response to the new variants had led to the slowing and eventual ending of the free movement of people. And with it, the rest of the freedoms began to crumble, unable to take the weight of the huge political burden left behind. The West was crippled and broken, and so when it emerged that China was the cause of our collective troubles, it, without any irony, fell to Russia to act. I once listened to a Radio 4 documentary which said models showed that a war which involved just 250 nuclear warheads would lead to the deaths of over 2 billion people from the resulting food supply chain issues alone. At the time, 250 nuclear weapons seemed like a very large number to make use of the word just about. However, 
It turns out that when Russia and China are wargaming the exchange of attacks with small and medium nuclear weapons, 250 might be quite a modest estimate. I know that blaming China starts to sound a little infowarsy, a little jet fuel can't melt steel beamsy, but if it helps make you feel any better. Fresh from a series of payouts following on from the nearly one billion Sandy Hook lawsuit, Alex Jones softened not even slightly and was using Parler, now owned by Kanye West, to say that blaming China was a deep state conspiracy and that America was funding the Russians to avoid direct conflict with the Chinese. So allow that to reassure you, or not reassure you, however much you decide it should. In those early days, as Russia and China exchanged, at least for now, non-nuclear attacks, Britain was not a target. And so maybe I would have been fine on a repatriation flight back from California all along, And we hadn't yet seen food supplies disrupted so badly that two billion people were dead. But the price of food and gas in the summer of 2025 made the winter of 2022 look like a bargain. As a sign of the significance, even Apple had already released a statement saying there would be no iPhone 17 this year due to the Russian bombing of Chinese manufacturing facilities. For days... Then weeks, then months, the skies were empty. It felt like the silent summer stretched on forever as we waited for what felt both unimaginable yet inevitable. Nuclear winter. Today, summer 2026. I felt my mind start to drift away in hope and I realised I could hear a plane in the sky. I had not heard one for so long or even thought I might ever hear one again that I thought I had imagined it at first. I looked up to the sky to see but saw nothing. Perhaps I had imagined it but I was sure I hadn't. Could planes be flying again? I'm sure I would have heard something. I'm sure the news would have told me I checked my phone, but no news about planes. But others had heard the sound too. Associated Press is reporting that China has launched a nuclear weapon. Is that what I heard?